Welcome to the Vineyard Church of Greater Portland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Mario Mastin. For more podcasts and other resources, please visit www.vineyardportland.org. Now we're back together again. What I'd like to do this morning is continue with the series that I began, uh, I guess, three weeks ago at the beginning of the year, entitled Being Built Together. And for those of you who may have missed the first two messages, you may not have been here for those. Uh, For those of you that were, by way of reminder, I want to start with the foundation text. And this text is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And it's a word, a specific word that I believe God has impressed on me to impress on us as a uh, word for us to be committed to with conviction in this year as a church that the Lord is actually speaking to us through this text as a local church for this year. And this is that text. It's Ephesians 2, verses 19 and 22. And this is what Paul says. You're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And here really is the crux uh, of this word as I sense the Lord impressing this on me for us. In him, you too are being built together to become a a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That is what God is doing in our midst. I believe that's what God's doing in the midst of every community and assembly of God's people. He is building his people together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. And we began the first week, and I'm just rehearsing this for those of you that may not have been here, by asking what does that mean? And seeking to answer that question by looking at Jesus' new command in John 13 that he gave to his disciples in which he said to them, you must love one another as I have loved you. Then in the second week, we thought about how we are uh, related to one another in the body of Christ through the Holy Spirit such that we are indispensable to one another and that we are interdependent and interconnected with one another. And today what I want to consider is I want to look at what I think is the clearest and most concise uh, passage in the New Testament that shows us what being built together actually looks like when it's lived out. And that picture is found in Acts chapter 2 where Luke is writing words to, uh, about this new fellowship of believers, these followers of the way Uh, that we've already heard that Christians were referred to as when they first uh, began following Jesus and testifying to him. Even before they were called Christians in Antioch, they were known as followers of the way. And when they gathered together after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon them, they began to do life together. They began to be being built together by God as a place for him to live, as a place for him to inhabit through his spirit. Because as we said two weeks ago, and as the New Testament tells us also in the book of Acts, God no longer 
dwells in temples built with hands. He's now living in his people. He's living in us. So what is it that Luke says about this first church, these followers of the way? That shows us what being built together looks like when it's lived out as a community of God's people. This is what he wrote. They devoted. I'm going to talk about that word in a moment. That word came up in intercessory prayer on Wednesday. uh, And we heard Matt again this morning when he was sharing that testimony during worship. Zero in on that word devoted. I don't think he had any idea where I was going this morning. But that's a key word here in this text. Luke says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Every one of them was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying all the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So what are these first believers, born of the Holy Spirit, connected to one another by the Spirit, and filled with the Spirit, do in terms of being built together as a community of God's people. The answer to that is this. They embraced and cultivated some things. And from what I can see in this text, these are some of the things that they embraced and cultivated as they lived out this reality of being built together by God through the Holy Spirit. First, a shared commitment. Secondly, a shared unity. And thirdly, a shared love. And what they did, and what Luke describes here, I believe, is a prescription for what we can and must do as a community of God's people. And not just us, but every assembly of God's people. And it is also a spirit-filled example for us to follow as we are being built together. So let's look at that this morning a little more closely. The first thing they were committed to, and they, or rather that they embraced and cultivated, was a shared commitment Luke captures this shared commitment with the opening phrase in this passage where he says of the believers as they gathered, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. In other translations, for instance, in the New King James, that's rendered as I'm reading from the NIV. In the New King James, that phrase is rendered differently. It's they continued steadfastly. They devoted themselves to, they continued steadfastly. The Greek word here really carries this sense of to join, to adhere, to give attention to, to be faithful, and to spend much time together. They joined together. They adhered to one another through the Holy Spirit. They spent a lot of time together. They faithfully gave their attention to the things that would build them together in Christ. They didn't have a 
ho-hum attitude to the reality of being built together. They were devoted. When you talk about devotion, you're talking about love and loyalty, aren't you? In a marriage, spouses are devoted to one another. They love one another. They're loyal to one another. At least that's the prescription for marriage in the New Testament. If you go to marriage encounter, you'll strengthen that devotion. See how I got that one in? You guys owe me one for that. That was good. But that, that is true. Devotion is about love and loyalty to one another. Particularly as it's being described here. Now, when we talk about devotion, you know, in everyday language today, we sometimes refer to it relationally, but we talk about being devoted to particular things, pursuits, hobbies, uh, sports teams that we love and we're devoted to, right? There's a focus, there's an energy, there's a commitment that goes with that. But what's being pictured here is in relational terms in the body of Christ. They were devoted. And they were devoted in this sense to everything about the kingdom that would bring them and build them together in Christ as a group of God's people. So I want you to think about devotion this morning in terms of it being and meaning a steadfast and single-minded fidelity to a particular course of action. That's what this group of believers was doing. They were devoted in that sense. And notice this, the expressions here are plural, they and themselves. This was a corporate reality. The Christians embraced a shared commitment. This was not just one or two of them or an elite group of them. This was all of them. They were in it together. They were devoted to a common goal. In the vineyard, this has become our model for, I'm talking about the vineyard, not just this local church, but the vineyard nationally, the vineyard globally, in in relationship to cross-cultural missions. We use this phrase, we can do more together than any one of us could do alone. Well, that is true not just of cross-cultural missions, that's true in the church. We can do more together in this community as followers of Jesus than any one of us could do alone. So what were they devoted to? Well, Luke tells us. The first thing was transformational teaching. They didn't see the word of God and the word being taught as an optional extra. This was right at the heart of the community life of the first century brand New Testament church. Transformational teaching. It wasn't for them. Teaching was not just about the dissemination of information. Teaching for them was about transformation. It was about their lives being changed by the authority of God's word taught under the insp- uh, through the authority and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it brought real and lasting change in their lives. They devoted themselves to the revelation of the truth. And that word was declared to them by the apostles. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They recognized that God's word was the foundation building block, really, for their lives. 
both the living word Christ, that chief cornerstone, but then the revelation of him conveyed in, this, in these scriptures. And of course, at the time that that church was around, there was no New Testament. It was happening, right? As they were in process. The only scriptures they had written were the Old Testament scriptures and then the letters that began to be written. But they recognized something here about the importance of the word of God in their corporate and personal lives. The sword of the spirit working away, dividing soul from spirit, joints from marrow, discerning the thoughts and intents of their heart, personally and corporately. A couple thousand years later, one of the guys I like to quote from from time to time, kind of a hero, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this in his classic work, Life Together, about community life in the church. He said, in the community of the Spirit, the Word of God alone rules. No man rules. No woman rules. The Word of God rules in the community of the Spirit. And God's Word alone, he said, is binding. It's authoritative. It binds us together as we're being built together in Christ. These early Christians were committed to let the word of God have rule in their lives. Are we? Are we committed to let the word of God have a place of rule in our lives? They did that so in part they could be built together in the way that God wanted them to be. They did the very thing that Paul exhorted the church in Colossae to do in Colossians 3.16 when he said this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. This is why teaching has always been at the heart of Christian corporate worship when the people of God assemble. It's not just to give people like me a job and an opportunity to spout off. Teaching is at the heart of this building process that God is involved in in his church. And thus has it ever been. And as they let the word of God rule in their lives, the teaching of the apostles, as well as those Old Testament scriptures, as they let that dwell richly, it began to govern their personal and corporate life together. Their relationships with one another. We're governed by the truth in God's word. Made alive by the Holy Spirit that was in them. They were devoted. They were steadfast. They were single-minded in their fidelity to the truth. So that they could be transformed by it. And become that place for God to dwell. Peterson in the message, uh, he, he kind of puts it this way, and I kind of like this, because it helps us in another way get a little bit of a handle on what's being said here. You may think, well, what does it mean to let the word of Christ dwell richly? Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. He's using a kind of colloquial expression here. Let it have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using common good sense. They understood as a community of believers 
that being built together by the word of God could and would change them and they in turn would be change agents in the culture and at the time where and when they lived in the way that God wanted them to be. But they weren't just committed to transformational teaching. Luke says they were committed to life together. Luke tells us that this when he uses the phrase and to the fellowship. And to the fellowship. And fellowship here is not just like getting together and socializing. Christians in Jerusalem didn't like form a religious social club. Now, uh, in the past, uh, I went to Spain a number of times on cross-cultural missions uh, trips with some different people within this room now, including Tom. And um, because we support the vineyard church that's being planted in San Sebastian uh, with uh, the Rojas family. And uh, we've done a lot of trips over the years to Spain. And I remember in one of the early trips after they got there and started working to plant the church there, they took us out one day to this thing called a sociedad, society in Spanish. Just, and what it was, it was fascinating. It was a group of people and you correct me, Tom, if I get this wrong, but I think they had been meeting together, was it like once a month or once a week? Once a month, and it had been for like 25 years or something? They had been meeting together, this group of friends, consistently once a month at this particular location. They had a meal together, they ate, they drank, they laughed, they talked, and we were, we were invited into that experience. And it was really very cool. And I thought, really, these guys, and I don't know if any of them or many of them were Christ followers or not, but they caught something about the importance of relational connection and being intentional about it. Now, I think that what Luke is talking about here is something way beyond that. He's talking about a spiritual connection, a fellowship ordained by and made alive by the presence of the living God which is much more than just a social club. It's a people called together, filled with the Spirit of God, and enjoying something that the New Testament calls, and Luke describes here, as fellowship. The Greek word is koinonia. And it conveys the idea of people communing and sharing a common life. Not just common interests. In a social club, you have common interests. If you like playing golf, you join a golf club, right? This is not about common interests. Look, there's a whole bunch of us in this room, and we have a variety of very differing interests and perspectives about different things. But there's a common life that we share together in Christ, and this is what they devoted themselves to. It's a life of the Spirit. And they were committed to it because they were connected to one another through the Spirit. They were the ecclesia. It's the Greek word translated church in the New Testament. It just means the called out ones. We have been called out of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world, right? The scripture tells us. So we're still in it. 
We're not supposed to retrench and hide somewhere. We're in it, but we're not of it. In that sense, we've been called out. We are the ecclesia. But when God calls us out of something, it's to call us into something. And the something he's called us into is a common life. Community together in Christ, born of the Holy Spirit of God. And these guys committed themselves to that. There's another expression here of that commitment. And it's what I'm going to call the celebratory meal. He uses the phrase to the apostles teaching and fellowship. And they also devoted themselves, he says, to the breaking of bread. This phrase suggests a bunch of different things. The Jewish fellowship meal. The paschal commemoration of Christ. And his death. The love feast. That emphasized the joy of communion together in the presence of the risen Lord. The phrase comes between fellowship and prayer and probably refers specifically, or has the emphasis at least, on that meal related to the passion of Christ, Christ's suffering death. What today we refer to as communion or the Lord's table. But it conveys joy and love and praise and celebration. You know, a meal shared is significant. Sitting together and having a meal with others is a sign of God's kingdom for those that are in Christ. It's not just about feeding yourself and hanging out with somebody. It's a sign of the kingdom. The banquet feast of the kingdom made flesh. It's the meal of friendship and fellowship shared by the community of God's people. It's the common meal. It's the meal that we share together in Christ. And then finally, in relationship to this, Luke says they were devoted to prayer. Not just transformational teaching. Not just life together. Not just a celebratory meal. But prayer. They gave themselves to prayer. And they did it corporately. And obviously there's a huge place for personal devotional prayer. Individual and personal. Of course there is. But in this context... What's in view here is corporate prayer. Them coming together as the people of God to pray. They were committed to that. All kinds of prayer. I'm sure they engaged in adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, and intercession. And they did it because they wanted, as they were directed by the Spirit of God, to see the purposes of God made real. They participated in prayer. They didn't observe it. They participated in it. So all of these things that Luke mentions here are part of a shared commitment. And what do they teach us? They teach us this. I'm not the brightest star in the firmament, but this is easy to figure out. We are to share the same commitment. We're to share the same commitment that those believers baptized by the Holy Spirit and called into community at the very beginning, as it were, of the church age, were called to. We're to pursue the same spiritual stuff that they did. And these things, for us, like for them, they're not options that we can take or leave. 
These are things that God has called us to as his people. They are the very building blocks that God uses to, through the Holy Spirit to build us together in Christ so that we can rise to become that temple, so that we can be that place where God is hanging out. We're to devote ourselves as a community, as a church, to the word of God as revealed to us in the scriptures, to fellowship in the spirit so that we realize that when we're together, yes, we are together and we're socializing, but this is not a social club and something much more significant is going on. Thank you for that, Irene. I appreciate that. That's encouraging. The common meal, when we get together, we realize and we break bread together, whether that's the, the meal commemorating the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf, or whether that's get, we're breaking bread in our homes together. This is something God wants us to do. It's a mark of that new life that we share together in Christ and of the destiny that we have in him. And obviously to pray together for one another, for the purposes of God, for the community we're a part of, for the nation we're a part of. Letting the word of God dwell in our hearts richly, corporately, corporately, not just personally. Paul said to Timothy that when we do that, we will learn how to conduct ourselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. This church, as an expression of God's universal church, is like all other local churches, a representation of the household of God, the church of the living God, the ecclesia, the called out ones of the living God. We are the pillar and the foundation of the truth. We need to act like it. We need to live like it together. You know, genuine fellowship in and through the Spirit revolutionizes church life. We recognize, as I said a couple of weeks ago, that we, are, that we belong to one another, that we are indispensable to one another, that we... That, that we have value to each other and to the whole. And fellowship takes us so far beyond just socializing into a place where there's honesty, accountability, vulnerability, and yet, in the love of God, an incredible security that we have in and together with one another. The second thing I want you to see that they had uh, was a shared unity. And I made it clear a couple weeks ago, I'm not talking about uniformity when I talk about unity. Everybody didn't look the same, speak the same. But there's something here, when he uses the phrase, all the believers, that's an inclusive phrase. He's saying all the believers, not some of them. In Acts 2, they were united together. The unity they enjoyed was a unity expressed of the Holy Spirit. And that gave them oneness of purpose. And this is so important for us as believers. We have been called to one purpose. 
Now that may be played out in our lives and look differently for each one of us, but the, perp- the overarching purpose we've been called to is the same one. It's the purpose of God. Although he's describing the fact that all of these believers were, to some degree, in one place. When he said all the believers were together, they were geographically together in one location. Okay, I get that. But I think that that, he's speaking about something more significant here than just the fact that they were all together at one time in one location. I think that's emblematic of something that was true of them spiritually. That they were at one, they were in harmony with one another. Not disharmony. They were going in the same direction in terms of the purpose of God, not different directions. Unity, harmony, oneness, accord, these are the marks of the household of God. They are the marks of an authentic church where there's division and a lack of harmony, a lack of oneness, a lack of unity of purpose. You don't have the marks of an authentic ecclesia, of an authentic church. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, which is right at the first part of this same chapter, they were joined together. They were bound together by the Spirit. There was a unity, a harmony. harmony. Also, oneness of identity. It says they had everything in common. Now let me just park there for a moment. It says they had everything in common. They, they took possessions, they sold them, they made sure that those that were in need had their needs met, Right? I'm paraphrasing, that's what it says in the passage. As the community of the king, they recognized they belonged to one another, and therefore they shared with one another. Now, this was not a prescription for common ownership. Rather, it was an expression of a common identity and a belonging, so that if one was in need, Others were willing to take some of what they had and pull it together to make sure that that need was met. It had to do with identity and belonging, not principally with ownership. They knew they belonged to Christ and to one another. Their lives had been bought with a price and they were no longer their own. There was a oneness of generosity and a oneness of concern. It says selling their possessions and their goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Being built together in Christ means having an enthusiastic and extravagant generosity to those that God has called us into relationship with. Giving with a generous heart is a reflection of God's promise and a demonstration of living faith. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, have equal concern for each other. And that's how the New Testament church in Acts 2 lived. They had equal concern for one another. So if somebody had a need, they met that need. They didn't ignore it. We're to share the same unity. God has called us into communion with each other. We're to walk in unity with one another. You know, our God is a triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Godhead is, if you like, a community of three distinct, 
persons who are indivisible, who are one, who are in perfect harmony. And in a sense, the New Testament church is to be a reflection of that harmony that we see in the Godhead, in God himself. The last thing I want you to see is this, they had a shared love. It says they continue to meet together. Now you may think, how does love have to do with them continuing to meet together? This way. It goes back to the word devotion, and also it has to do with power. Because if you're going to continually meet together with people, you're not going to do that over the long haul without the love of God. Because somewhere around the line, you're going to get ticked off, impatient, fed up. It's going to happen. And unfortunately, that's happened in the church all too frequently over the last couple of thousand years. Churches have imploded because of that. It's because the love of God is not shared by the people within the community of God's people. So something else becomes the predicate for their relationship. And it becomes conditional. And when they get bent out of shape, boom, the thing implodes. We have been called to a shared love. Peter said, love one another deeply from the heart. That's the kind of sincere love God has called us to have for one another. And you know what that allowed them to do? To embrace the real. To embrace the real. It says every day they continue to meet together. Now we don't even do that, do we? Those guys met together every day. Every day means every day. That means 24-7. Now, I'm not saying I want to meet with you every day. And I'm not saying you have to meet with one another every day. All right? Okay. Different culture, time, I get it. But the point is, this speaks to their devotion to one another. Their love for one another. And this is it. They embrace the real They didn't live with some hyper-spiritual ideal and then impose conditions on one another and expectations that they could not fulfill and then say, there you go, you couldn't fulfill that in checking out. They embraced the real. They knew that they were sinner saints, fallible people, saved by God's grace, empowered by God's spirit, and infused with God's love for a relationship together where God would build them together for his purpose and his testimony in the earth. And that's what God is still doing. Let me give you another line from Bonhoeffer. He says this, love community and you will kill it. If you're in love with the concept of community in the body of Christ, you'll end up killing it. Love your brother, and I might add parenthetically sister, and you will build it. You will build it. Isn't that exactly what Paul says in Ephesus, uh, in Ephesians? Yes, it is. We're to be built up together in love. It's not the concept of community and togetherness. It's the reality that because of the love of God, we're brought into that. And as we love one another, it will genuinely be built for the long haul. They embraced the corporate. says they met in the temple courts And they broke bread in their own homes. They did them both. They didn't trade one off for the other. They didn't say, I'm not going to go to church Sunday because I'll go to life group on Wednesday. Or I'll go to life group tonight, but I won't go to church on Sunday. I mean, come on. Let's keep things, you know. 
No. They were committed and devoted to one another. Somebody said to me this morning when they came and they gave me an embrace and said, it's so good to be back and to see you and to see others. I haven't been here for a few weeks. It's so good to be back with God's people. If that's not the attitude of your heart, check your heart and talk to Jesus. Because that's the way that God has called us to live. And if we're living some other way in Christ, from what I can see in the New Testament, it's not what God desires for us. He said, and the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Let me give you another rendition of that in the message where Peterson says, people in general liked what they saw. And that's what happens when the community of God's people are living in a shared love and genuine community is being built through the Spirit of God. It becomes attractive to other people. We're to share that same love. I end with this. This is why we as a local church gather together to worship corporately. Why we make a provision to pray together corporately. Why we teach the word of God together corporately. Why we give of our substance to God corporately. The Jerusalem church was in many ways the prototype for this New Testament community that God birthed. And what did they do? They gathered together in the temple courts, but they also gathered together in their homes. Uh, they couldn't get enough of this thing called fellowship, koinonia, hanging out together, being together. I would say this to you. If this is your church, if this is your church, on Sundays, and I get all the, I've got all the qualifiers. I know that. People have to work. People get sick. My own wife's homesick this morning. I understand that. But as a general rule, if I can use that term of grace in our own lives, our commitment should be when we gather together to worship God, we gather together on the first day of the week when we gather together marking the reality that Jesus broke through the barrier of death, which is why we meet on a Sunday, right? It's all about the resurrection, our hope. When we gather, we should be together. Don't do this two weeks in five thing. Come together with God's people. You are needed. If we really are indispensable to one another, interconnected with one another through the Spirit in the way that I talked about two weeks, and I think we are from the Scripture, then we should gather together when we have the opportunity to do that and worship God together and hear the word of God taught and pray together and minister to one another and share testimonies with one another and build one another up in love. Look, devotion requires intentionality. There is no devotion without intentionality. It's just a word otherwise. Life groups are going to start up next month. We have a longer break this time. They're not starting up until like 24th, the week of the 24th of February. Get involved in one. 
either lead one, host one, or participate in one. Why? Because you should be devoted to these things, and so should I, that are laid out for us clearly here in the New Testament as to what church life looks like. Now, it's not just being here on Sunday and going to a life group. Obviously, those are just two aspects that are emblematic of this big commitment that we have to one another. We should just do life together, right? Right? 